Hey guys, this is Jim, and welcome to the Holmes Politicast for the second week of July 2020. Uh, we have a lot of news today, a lot of stuff going on since the last time we talked. Uh, a week now seems like about seven years in a normal, everyday year. Since we last spoke, there have been a number of big news stories that have broken, and some of them are pretty important. Some of them are kind of frivolous. One of the more frivolous ones, actually, I didn't talk about last week because it was so ridiculous. I didn't have time to fit it in. You know, it was kind of a, um, what do you call it, like a, a fluff story. It's about Kanye West's uh, alleged presidential ambitions. Um, I didn't spend, you know, I was going to comment on it, but there wasn't very much time. But it's it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, I don't really know what that's all about. Most people think it's a publicity stunt because of his new album, which dropped this week. Um, I don't know. There's also, I know he has, and I don't mean this to be, um, I'm not trying to be funny or glib or insulting, but I, we do know he, he's been on David Letterman and other places talking openly about his struggle with mental illness. So that, is also a possibility that's not a this isn't a publicity prank or something that it, it's just he's really struggling right now. Um, uh, so I, I don't know, but it is it, it was just kind of a jolt on the Fourth of July to have him say something about it. And there's been a few people who have taken him seriously, a Chance the Rapper and Elon Musk and things, but um, uh, he he hasn't registered. I, I've done a little bit of research on it, trying to see if this was legitimate and he hasn't registered, he did try to get on the ballot in like Nevada and a couple of other States, but he wasn't able to this late in the game. And I think the deadline for a lot of those States is uh, up this week or, you know, you, in order to be on the ballot by November, you have to have all your signatures and everything <clears throat> already done. You know, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's either in, July or August, but um, for almost all of them, because, you know, they have to have time to print out the ballots and, and things like that, so, and, and to check the language. So it seems like it's pretty much not serious, his proposal. Um, but you never know. Uh, you know, I thought, uh, in all honesty, when Trump came down the escalator back in 2015, I thought it was just a publicity stunt, too, and that you know, he'd, he'd run for a month or two, um, maybe get a new contract with NBC, a better contract or something, and then he would drop out. Uh, and so, you know, my opinion on that is not usually, is not always right. Uh, speaking of signatures and ballot drives, MLive has an article here. Uh, let's see, it's about... The headline is Group Challenges Validity of Signatures and Ballot Drive to Ban Abortion Procedure. This was updated on July 11th, and it, <clears throat> it says this. The Bureau of Elections has been asked to investigate an allegation of signature fraud in a Michigan ballot drive to ban dilation and evacuation abortions. 
Signatures gathered by the group Michigan Values Life are being challenged by the Coalition to Protect Access to Care. The window to challenge the ballot drive closes on July 13th. <clears throat> Today I call the, to the attention of the Bureau of Elections staff a pair of signatures which appear to be signed by the same person. A clear violation of the law, said Mark Brewer, an attorney for CPAC. Um, we are asking that they that you conduct an investigation, including an interview of the petition circulator, circulator who should have witnessed these signatures. It is unacceptable to attempt to enact legislation by breaking the basic rules of signature gathering. Uh, so in December of 2019, the Michigan Values Life group submitted about 380,000 signatures in its effort to have Michigan voters decide whether to define the procedure as a dismemberment abortion and make it a felony for a physician to perform one unless it was to save the life of the mother. To get the measure on the ballot, right now you need 340,047 signatures. So initially, the Bureau of Elections took a random sampling of 500 of the signatures and found that only 446 were valid signatures. And they estimated then that the group was 7,276 signatures short. But then the Board of State Canvassers re-looked at it last month and they took 1,600 signatures for review. And they found that it was uh, legal, that they met the requirement. Well, now the Coalition to Protect Access to Care, a uh, uh, bit of a misnomer there, but um, they're really protecting access to abortion, not to care. But um, they've gone through and they, and they claim that they found at least one case of uh, uh, voter uh, not voter fraud, but, um, you know, some kind of, uh, they have a challenge anyway. They think that the same person was signing several different names on there. So the Bureau of Elections is going to review the signatures and make a decision for itself. And it will then give time, will be given, oh, and, and the right to life of mission will be given time to counter the accusations made by CPAC. Uh, so we should know by July 24th, which is when the Board of Canvassers must decide whether the petition gathered enough signatures. So that is something that's uh, sometime next week. Um, so that's when we're going to definitely want to keep an eye out for in November. To see, or we'll want to keep an eye out for next week to see if it actually makes it onto the ballot in November. Um, a couple of other stories. Well, this one is from last week. This was uh, a reporter asked Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi about the statue of Christopher Columbus that was, they said, was removed or taken down. We we now know that it was violently ripped down, and um, they asked her if she had anything to share about that. And she responded, uh, well, the headline just says, well, I don't even have my grandmother's earrings. So that caught my attention because it sounded like she was suffering from some sort of dementia. Um, 
in context, she's saying she has no sentimental value on items. Like she doesn't even have her grandma's earring, so why would she be sentimental about statues being taken down? Of course, I think it is... Uh, I, I personally think that Nancy Pelosi's grandmother probably predates Columbus, so anything that her grandmother owned would probably be in a museum somewhere. Uh, but she went on to say people will do what they do. And that, it actually reminds me a lot of, um, oh, I don't know, probably 2006 or so, uh, in, I, in Iraq, there was a bunch of looting after Saddam Hussein had been taken into custody and removed from office. Uh, there was a lot of looting and violence. <clears throat> and Donald Rumsfeld, who was then Secretary of Defense, said this stuff happens. You know, people, when people are free, they, you know, they're free to loot. They're free to, you know, kill others. They're free, you know, that this was an expression of freedom. And it was really not well received at all. It was a dumb comment that he made because um, they, they were, just to put it into context, they were trying to justify there were a lot of people who were, had been opposed to the war in Iraq, thought that we should stay focused on Osama bin Laden. And then Iraq fell into civil war after we got rid of Saddam. And so there was a lot of people who were questioning, you know, making a big deal about the looting and the killings, you know, to say, look, this is what happened. And he was just very dismissive. Oh, this is this is great. This is wonderful. This is people expressing their freedom to do to do things. Anyway, it was uh, it was a tone deaf comment and it, it 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 did lead in a roundabout way to his eventual resignation where president bush had to ask him to step down and this reminds me of the same thing you know um people will do what they do uh as if you know i don't know i, I it's almost like i don't even know what to say about it i, I don't even know what a person can say when you're asked about violence and the responses, people will do what they do. I mean, absolutely. <clears throat> Either she has no respect for law and order or she's afraid of offending her base, which is like the Black Lives Matter and, and this group. And so she's, she doesn't want to take out, she doesn't want to come out and look like she's not an ally to them. So, so it's perfectly fine to, to do these things, I guess is what she's, trying to say there, but, um, it was a dumb comment. <clears throat> Wait, that, uh, also last week, shortly after we were off the air last week, the Supreme Court handed down, of course, they handed down a number of big rulings. Uh, the press mostly talked about Trump's tax returns, which was a hollow victory for, I don't know if you'd say for the Democrats or for whoever, um, because, yeah, the court opened the door for Trump's tax returns to be released, but they won't be released anytime soon, if ever, uh, because the grand jury can't release the tax returns unless there's been a crime. This was just he the Cyrus Vance of New York wanted the tax returns for the uh, for a grand jury to set up a grand jury. Now, if the grand jury looks at the evidence and decides not to indict anybody involved, then that evidence is sealed. If the jury does decide 
to indict, that evidence will still be sealed for a certain amount of time during the trial because they're not going to have it prejudice the uh, a potential jury pool. So it would be months or years in that case. And in the case with uh, the Congress of whether or not the Congress can re- can request his tax returns, the, um, the court ruled that the president is a, is a private citizen and, and does not have immunity from, from these things. But they said, you also can't just, uh, you can't just go on a fishing expedition either. You can't just say, you know, for no reason, just say, I want to see your tax returns or I want to see, you know, these, these kind of things. You have to have a specific charge. You have to have almost like getting a warrant, um, to search someone's home. You can't, the, co- the police can't just decide to search your home. They have to have probable cause. They have to go and get a, a warrant, which states what it is they're looking for. And it's the same thing that they're saying here. The Congress has to have a specific reason for seeing the tax returns. So the Congress can get them, but they'd have to outline what exactly they want. And then the Trump administration, or uh, no, I'm wrong about that, not the Trump administration, Pre- uh, Donald Trump, the individual, or his lawyers, or if, if they feel that it's a violation of, uh, if there's something in there that affects the presidency, some secrecy or something like that, I, I don't know how that would work. But we'll just pretend like there's something, it might be the White House lawyer, but they would have an, they would have the opportunity to challenge those things. So you'd have to make a specific claim. We want to see these specific records for this purpose. We're investigating this particular crime and we need the records. And then there has to be some due process where the defendant, in this case, the president, would be able to say, no, we don't want to show you these records because blah, blah, blah. You know, there would have to be something like that. They can't just say, turn over your records. We want to see everything that you have just to see if there's any hanky-panky in there. So there were two important rulings, but they were hollow. We're not going to see his tax returns anytime soon. So it, it... it was it, w- it was a loss for the president as far as he lost the case, but it was a win because nothing's going to come of it. But the press covered that tremendously that day. That's like all they talked about was how Trump lost these cases, which I thought was dumb. Uh, but <clears throat> the other big story that came out that, that kind of got lost and is that the Supreme Court ruled that Half of Oklahoma, literally half of Oklahoma, remains an American Indian reservation. So it, it this is huge. I mean, literally half of Oklahoma now is part of an Indian reservation. This has huge consequences. Not, I mean, it doesn't affect us as much here in Michigan, but in Oklahoma, I mean, that's it. It, it takes away. It takes away the property owners, people who have lived on that property, the property is no longer theirs. I mean, white people who live in some of these cities like Tulsa and other cities, um, the property is no longer theirs. It's no longer their property. It belongs to the Indian reservation. So they're going to have to work out some kind of an agreement. Plus it takes away that tax revenue of half the, of the half the state. It's going to be cut in half because, uh, they can't, they can't charge state taxes to, to citizens who live on an Indian reservation. So, and they have to release, from what I understand, uh, a huge number. I want to say, I don't know, at least 70,000. I don't have those numbers in front of me, but uh, these are inmates who were charged for crimes under state law. 
And if, if they were charged in a Indian territory, then they were only subject to federal crimes. They can't be, you can't arrest somebody uh, for even a charge like murder. Murder is a state charge. So if, if, if they murdered somebody and they're in jail or they're in prison, well, they have to be released because the state didn't have any right to charge them with murder since they were on a reservation. I mean, it has huge implications and those implications could reverberate all over the United States here in Michigan. Uh, there are a number of, uh, well, uh, well, let me just say the reason why that it became, that it was ruled that it was uh, still a reservation is because we created treaties with the Indians, just like we would any other nation in the world that were, um, approved by, that'd be by the confirmation of the Senate and the president. And these were treaties that they made with the American Indian. Uh, that part of Oklahoma had been part of the Trail of Tears. When we pushed them out of South Carolina, we promised them that, that, they, that they could have land in Oklahoma if they left their native land. And this, there's a lot of arguments back and forth as to exactly what was the purpose of it. I'll be generous because I, have, I, I tend to side on presidents on these issues. President Jackson was trying to uh, prevent the genocide of these Indians as the white settlers moved into the area. So he promised them land out, which was then far, far away, uh, in order to take that land. Otherwise, he feared white people would come in there and just slaughter the Indians and take the land violently. So, you know, they signed this treaty, sent them out there. And then what happens in a lot of these is that after a certain amount of years, we would send in the military to take certain land or settlers would move, which is what happened in Kansas and Oklahoma and things. Settlers just moved out there because it was so vast. And then when they would be attacked by, by Indians, we would send in the military to protect them. And then <clears throat> just over time, more settlers moved there because it was safe. Now the military was keeping the Indians at bay. They never, they never got rid of the treaty. The treaty still existed. It's just that the military and the United States government just started pushing the people back or pushing the Indians back. And that's what the argument is here, that when you, when you actually looked at it, this is what Justice Gorsuch, Gorsuch said, was when you looked at it, the, the treaty is still in effect. Uh, it was never rescinded by the Congress and by the president. It was just, just no longer followed. And what I mean by a dangerous president this is, is because we've done this all over the United States. We did it in the Black Hills where Mount Rushmore is at. Uh, when gold was discovered there, we, you know, we had all these prospectors who moved out to the Black Hills, which was part of an Indian territory that we had ceded to them as part of their land. And we had the military just push them off of that land. Well, if they take it to court, you know, following this precedent, you know, there's going to be a real battle as to whether that land actually still belongs to us or if it or if these things belong to the Native Americans. It's the same thing with the Upper Peninsula here in Michigan. I don't know if that if that was was uh, constitutionally acquired the Upper Peninsula or if it was just taken. Um, so and we know Manhattan in New York was um History tells us that they were, that, that we swindled the Native Americans out of that land. 
Um, I don't know if we ever had a treaty with them. I don't know much about that. That's just what I hear all the time that we swindled the Native Americans out of uh, Manhattan. Um, so this ruling could have an effect all over, all over the United States. There's, there's also questions about Hawaii. Um, there have been questions about that for years as to whether we could legally acquire Hawaii because we overthrew their, they had a, they had a, a queen, a monarch that oversaw the Hawaiian islands. We overthrew her and, uh, and, and, and spared her life if she, um, turned it, turned the, over to the United States, turned Hawaiian islands over to the United States. So, uh, and I'm not, I'm not taking a position on these things. I'm not saying that, that it shouldn't be a state or anything like that, but there are questions that have been raised for many, many years, but it's always been accepted that we settled these areas. And so therefore the arguments are done, but with this new ruling, it opens up the question. If, if half of Oklahoma can be ceded back to the native Americans, then the question is, what other areas in the United States were never, what other treaties do we have that were never reversed, constitutionally reversed? And would those areas then be, would, would those areas then be moved back to their original standing under the treaties? Um, my, my personal guess is that after this ruling, I would imagine there's going to be uh, some, some committees in Congress who are going to look into that and then uh, try to pass something that would um, nullify those treaties or something like that is what I would imagine. I don't know. We used to have a Bureau of Indian Affairs back in the 1800s. It was a cabinet position. I don't know when they got rid of it, and I don't know who's in charge of Indian Affairs today. I don't know if it's under the Interior Department or if it's under the State Department, or, and I don't know if, if any – if there's anybody in Congress, any committee that oversees this, I'm not sure. So, but I, but I would imagine that they're going to quickly and probably quietly try to um, go through all the old treaties and see what is still in effect and try to get rid of and try to end those treaties without causing much, uh, without causing much attention and much, um, uh, you know, uh, any drama is what I was trying to say. Um, looking here. Oh, in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Times is reporting that a video of a Pennsylvania officer with neon man's neck sparks anger. So I guess there was uh, another police officer who was restraining a man um, and he had his knee on the man's neck and it's created outrage. And so here we go again with... The, um, you know, I guess then changing Aunt Jemima wasn't the answer then and painting Black Lives Matter in front of the Trump Towers didn't do it because obviously they didn't, you know, if if you want police reform, obviously the police haven't been reformed at all. And uh, all this was just ridiculous symbolism, as we've talked about for a couple of weeks here that, you know, um. There's uh, was a, these woke. We really have uh, a problem with these woke, rich white liberals. Who I saw this I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but you know here was what 
you know, they were, people were outraged. They wanted police reform. You know, how do you take in, you want, you know, take, learn how to take in suspected criminals in a way that you don't have to provide, where you can provide non-lethal force. That's what they wanted. New training. Everyone agreed with that. It's a great idea. So then the woke, rich liberals said, um, we're going to make Juneteenth Juneteenth the national holiday. Okay. And then this is, and here's the, the, the black people. Okay. Well, that's interesting, but, um, what are you going to do about the cops? You know what? We're going to change the syrup bottle and we're going to get rid of Aunt Jemima. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, the cops, that's what we're interested in. We're going to start banning old television episodes and, and TV shows that, that we think is offensive and like, okay, well, that actually has, you know, that actually has nothing to do with, you know, helping us. Um, you know, we, we, we hear you. The rich woke liberals said, we hear you. We're going to recast black cartoon characters from now on. Okay. That, that we're not even asking for that. We're wanting, you know, we want the cops to be retrained so they don't afford lethal force when restraining people. We're going to paint black lives matter in front of Trump tower. We're going to, you know, we're going to do these things. And, and then, you know, are you guys, are you guys happy now? And, and here you've got black people around the country that are saying, no, we're not happy. We wanted you to reform the police. And then you have these rich, woke white liberals who are then saying, man, black people are so ungrateful. We did all these things for them and they, and they're still not happy. Like, we can't please them. Yeah, no. The problem is, not that black people are being unreasonable. What they want is reasonable enough. Just some police reform. Just retrain some of the police. You know? Um, The problem is, these people want to suddenly... They want to take charge. I mean, it's that... You know? It's that age-old attitude of, you know... and. I, I, I hate to say it, but I want to I want to make this clear to these, you know, these people. I'm going to use language that they would understand. It's not that I personally think like this, but they continue to behave as if they are the slave owners and black people are the slaves. They want to be in control. That's what I'm saying here. Is that's what they're acting like? These rich white liberals are still acting like they're the slave owners. You know, you want something done, we'll take care of it for you. You know, and then they're trying to take charge. We know what's best for you. You guys are upset, we'll make Juneteenth a national holiday. We'll get rid of anything that might be offensive to you. We'll tear down these statues. We'll, you know, we'll do all these things to make you happy. And then when that doesn't make them happy, you know, they 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 get angry. Like you guys are so ungrateful. We do all these things for you. We're changing the entire country for you. And and here the black people are saying, we didn't ask you to do that. We know what we want. We don't need you to tell us what we want. You know, we want police reform. No, you don't. No, you don't. This is what the liberals are saying. No, you don't. You don't want police reform. What you want is to get rid of the General Jackson, you know, uh, the General the General Lee statues. No, no, we told you what we want. No, 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 no. That's not what you want. You want to get rid of the syrup bottles. You want us to change the name of the Washington Redskins. That's what you really want. You know, they're trying to be in charge of it. They're trying to take control of it. 
you know, we, we know what's best for black people. You know, we don't, we don't, we're not really interested in hearing what you have to say. We're taking care of you, you know, rely on us. You know, we're not interested in what you think, what you feel, anything like that. We'll take care of it. And they're leaving these people out there who don't care about these things. You know, I'm not talking about the, the crazy, and I don't even know, the insurrectionists, and I don't even know what, who they are. I mean, I'm talking about the everyday, average black person out there in the United States who's concerned about, maybe not, I'm concerned about police brutality. Now, maybe not the police aren't purposely going out and hurting them, but they're concerned about the, uh, you know, lethal force force being used and what appears to be primarily black males who are the uh, victims of these of these deaths. They're concerned about that, and they're looking for something, trying to find some way to uh, to, to you know to change the culture and to change things. And then you have the old white people, liberal white people, who are saying. We're not interested in what you're saying. I mean, we'll give, they'll give, uh, um, you know, they'll give lip service to it. They'll say, oh yeah, we hear you. We hear you. We know you're upset. We, we know, we know there are problems. We're going to fix them for you. We'll tell you what, what we do, what we want, you know, and it, it, it really does bother me because they're not listening to what the people need. And this, you know, they're deciding for black people, we'll tell you what you need. We know better than you do. We're smarter than you are. You, know, you, you claim you want police reform. That's not the problem. The problem is Aunt Jemima. That's your problem. We want to get rid of that. You know, things that they've been actually trying to get rid of for a while. They're going to use this to try to get rid of. And then in November... If the, if the black people don't come out and vote for them, like what happened with Hillary Clinton, they're demonized for it. And that was one thing we had in 2016. I heard a lot of Democrats, they were angry because the black people didn't come out and vote for Hillary Clinton. Well, there's a lot of reasons why they didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, and I'm not going to get into all of them right now. But the point was that I've heard that they're to blame. They're the ones to blame. And that because when they didn't come out and vote for Hillary Clinton, that allowed Donald Trump to become president. Um, they just expect that the black people will come out and support them regardless. I don't know. I, I, I hate, I don't know. I don't know how else to refer to them, but somehow when I, somehow when I keep saying the black people, just something just seems wrong with that when I say that. And I'm not talking about whether to call them black or African-American. I just... I don't know. I just, there's just something, I guess I just, it's just the way I grew up. I, I, I just don't like groups. I don't like, I don't know how to word it. I don't, I don't like separating Americans into groups like, you know, black Americans and Christian Americans and Italian Americans and Mexican Americans and gay Americans and straight Americans. And, you know, like I, I just, to me, we're all just Americans, not hyphenated. And so I just feel awkward when I just talk about one group and say the blacks, you know, it just, I don't know, somehow it, it, it just leaves kind of a, a distaste in my mouth when I, when I say that, but, 
But this is what they were saying, is that black people predominantly make up the Democratic Party. This is according to the Democrats. And they did not come out and vote for Hillary Clinton. And so therefore, and that's primarily why Trump won Michigan, is because the Democrats in Detroit, primarily the black people, did not come out and vote. And their attitude is that they're ungrateful. And I've, I've, I've heard this. And you would think that this is by, you know, if you listen to the stereotype, you would think this is by some Republican, some uh, white, old white person who said black people are ungrateful. No, it, it was it was Democrats who said that over and over. They said, you know, we've been the party of the Democrats, civil rights. We've done all these things for the black people, you know, since 1964. We've we've always been on the side of black people. And when we needed them, they deserted us. They are so ungrateful. They are so unloyal. You know, that they would not come out and support us when we needed them. And that's what I'm saying right here is that this is this is the mentality that they're saying, look, we've done all these things for you. We took care of you. We know better what you need than you do. We're looking at the big picture. You may think that you're upset about about uh, police brutality, but what you're really upset about is the Dukes of Hazard. I mean, that's that's really the problem here. Um and then when they don't when they don't bow down and kiss their feet and say thank you so much for getting rid of the Dukes of Hazard for us, the attitude becomes you guys are ungrateful. You're so ungrateful. We do these things for you, and then and and you just want more and you want more and you want more. And it's not that they want more; they just want what they asked for to begin with, just some sensible police reform, better training. Um, so I know I I I don't know. This could be totally taken the wrong way. I, I, is, the more I think about this, the more, <laughs> the more I want to go back and just delete all of this, and uh, because I'm, I'm just afraid that this is going to be taken as, is, uh, in the wrong way. But, but I, I do, maybe my verbiage is wrong, but I really do believe that they, the Democrats have a very, uh. I don't want to say paternal feeling toward minority groups uh, because it's not like a parent looking after them. They have a very uh, low opinion of minorities. They think that minorities cannot make it without, without their help. And they think, um, and they, they think that they know better than minorities. They can tell the minorities what you really want. Uh, we don't need to listen to you because we can tell you what the problem is. <clears throat> so that's all I'm going to say about that part because that is, could come back to haunt me at some point. Um, ABC News is saying that public health officials have announced that a squirrel in Colorado has tested positive for the bubonic plague. Friends, you'll remember last week I mentioned that there was a case of bubonic plague found in China. And I thought it was odd at the time, and I'm glad I brought it up, because now we're seeing here in the United States, now I'm not sure why they were testing a squirrel for bubonic plague anyway. That part I don't understand. But this is, I say interesting because this is not the second time this has happened. We had the coronavirus as well that originated in China or, or 
I don't know if it originated in China, but that's where we started hearing about it first. And then reasons that we have not ever, that have not been made clear, suddenly they, uh, a case showed up here in the United States and the person had no contact that they could find with, with um, you know, they, uh, they didn't have any connection with anyone in uh, China. But then all of a sudden it, it came here in the United States and then it started spreading very quickly. And I'm not suggesting that's what's going to happen here. But this is another case where it's just very odd. Uh, where we heard about a case in China of the bubonic plague. And now a week later, some squirrel in Colorado who presumably has not ever been to China, now suddenly has the bubonic plague. I was going to get into the article, but it kept playing video. Um, so uh, you'll have to look that one up for yourself. It's on ABC News, and it may be in other sources too, but this particular article is on abcnews.go.com. But uh, anyway... Like I said, it, it's just an odd, odd case. <clears throat> Hopefully it won't go any further than that, but just very peculiar. It's very peculiar uh, that their, the bubonic plague is now making a comeback. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to keep an eye on that one. That one is just strange to me. Uh it's just mostly strange. My mind likes to make connections with things. Like when I, I connect the dots a lot. And when I hear about a case in China and it catches my eye and I start thinking, I kind of file it away in my mind. Like, you know, let me save that for later and see if anything else happens. And then a week later, I see a case of an animal in the United States having it there may be a very perfectly reasonable explanation, but it just seems odd that suddenly there's a case here in the United States. <clears throat> One last thing that I wanted to mention is from the National Center for Education Statistics. It's under the nation's report card. Um, I, I don't know... It's a statistic from eighth graders, and it says it's fr that they are proficient. Oh, I'll be well, I don't know. Uh, but it, it has the initials NAEP, uh, at or above the NAEP proficient on the 2018 social studies. And I'm just trying to figure out what NAEP stands for. I assume, well, actually, I don't know. Um, National, I think, is the N, and the E might be education. Maybe a National Association for Education Proficiency or something. I don't know. I'm not sure what that stands for. But anyway, they tested the nation's eighth graders, and they found that only 25% of the eighth graders were even remotely proficient in geography. So that's they completely failed. Uh, only 25% uh, were proficient in geography. Only 24% uh, were proficient in civics. That would be like a, how our government is set up. 
this is this is not good, folks. And then a whopping 15% knew about United States history. Uh, there's lots more we could talk about with that. But, um, you know, a few weeks ago, I talked about the lack of knowledge of U.S. history, and that's one of the problems in our country. Uh, and I, I always consider civics and history kind of together because if you learn about the history of our nation and how it was set up, then you kind of understand about the civics and, and how our government runs and things. But, but I, you know, I, I guess they're considered two different topics here. But um, that just that was a chilling, very chilling to me. And this explains why we're having so many problems in this country. Uh, it's just that's just sad. I I, I I can't believe that so few of our our kids know anything about geography, civics, or U.S. history. I used to think, you know, like you'd see it on The Tonight Show, like Jay Leno, and he had a segment called Jaywalking where he would go around and, and stop people. So and lots of times they were teenagers and ask them questions like, you know, where is Bolivia? Or, you know, how does a bill become a law? Or, you know, um, you know, or something about American history, you know, like what, you know, I, anyway, it doesn't matter. I was trying to think of an example, but, um, and the kids didn't know and the people didn't know even some adults. And I thought, well, you know, he might just, he might spend hours and hours and hours and until he finds people who are dumb so they can laugh at him on TV. But now that I see this, I think it's possible they really were that dumb. Uh, we're just not teaching very well at all anymore. So that's our show for today. I'm going to call it quits here. We're a little over 40 minutes. Um, if next week is anything like this week, we're going to have lots of stories to go go over. So, um, all right. Well, I hope everyone has a great week. And make sure to turn in to watch, tune in to Tom's show. Uh, it's either released now or it'll be released shortly. And make sure to like and subscribe and comment and check out our website and, you know, all that kind of stuff and tell your friends and give us ideas. So uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye guys. Mm -hmm.